0: Please open your Bibles today to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our series in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 10. And today I want to preach on verses 17 through 31. And I'll read the passage of Scripture during the sermon. So let us begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read this familiar passage of Scripture... When we think about it and meditate upon our hearts, we pray, Father, for, that you'll give us your wisdom and insight of how it would rightly even apply to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin to, by reminding you that we're in a childhood section of the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus warned about putting offenses or stumbling blocks in the pathway of children. And then we see a lot of negative examples of childlike behavior with the apostles. And yet, ironically, also Jesus Christ will point to children as an example of what to follow. Because, and we saw last week in chapter 10... Verse 15, he says, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Well, today, kind of ironically, we'll see a man who is childlike in a sinful way. He wants to hold on to his toys. He wants to hold on to his possessions and not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be a big barrier between him and Jesus that he just can't get over. This is the passage of Scripture about the rich young ruler. And what I want to emphasize is to remind you about God's goal of moving people from childhood to adulthood. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. All humanity is made in the image of God. But also, there's a goal for humanity, and that is to progressively become more and more and more like God in the right way. Jesus is bringing that to his people. He is bringing maturity. He is bringing them from a time of childhood into adulthood. Also, the Apostle Paul will call this a time of the law into the new covenant of Christ. And we're going to see that this is all there in this conversation with this rich, young ruler. But he can't get over his toys. He can't get over his possessions. He can't get over what is stumbling before him, and he's going to stumble over it. But with the negative example, we're going to see the positive example of the apostles, where they did leave all things, and they come to the Lord Jesus Christ And they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ even promises them blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Let's begin in our passage today. In verse 17, it says, As he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Let me pause right here. In the Gospel of Mark, particularly, it doesn't call him a rich, young ruler. You have to read Matthew and Luke who tell the same story, but they give more details about this person's life, that he is rich, that he is young, and that he is a ruler. This is what other passages tell you about him. And he's asking Jesus, what shall I do that I, may inherit, that I may inherit eternal life? Let me remind you that this is a biblical and a very good question. This question is also asked several times in the book of, of, of Acts, and there's nothing wrong with it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the book of Acts, the answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, become a Christian. Come and be a follower of Christ. That's the answer. Uh, And and also, this is not a question of how can I earn salvation? How can I be good enough to earn salvation? That's not what he's asking. This man is actually asking a good question and a legitimate question. How do I inherit eternal life? The Apostle Paul will use the word inheritance quite a bit in the book of Ephesians and also Galatians. To say that salvation is an inheritance. Inheritance means that it, 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 the word inheritance, it assumes that you're a part of a family. When you inherit something, it's not that you earned it. It's that you're part of the family and you've received it. So whenever if you want to interpret this passage accurately... Understand, first of all, that this is not a bad question. It's a biblical question. It's a good question. The issue is, there's a biblical and good way to answer it. So, as we come to, as we're going to see this, there's a problem with how this man is unable to stomach the answer. But the way he's unable to stomach the answer is is seen in the first two words that he uses when he approaches Jesus. Because the first two words don't hit the mark good enough. No pun intended. In verse 17, he says, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And that's why Jesus says this, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. What's happening here is that this man doesn't know the fullness of who Jesus is. And he assumes that Jesus is nothing more than a human good teacher. Jesus is asking him a question, making him think about it. Why do you call me good? No one's good but one. That is God. Meaning, do you realize what you just said means that you're talking to God? If this man knew that, if this man called him Lord, then he would be in the kingdom of God. Then he would be getting into the inheritance of eternal life. But we're going to see that just as he starts off this question falling short, He is going, when he hears the answer to the question, he's also going to fall short as well. And he's not going to arrive at this point in his life. He's not going to arrive where he can inherit eternal life by grace through faith in Christ. So, Jesus is going to do something for him in this conversation Jesus is going to lay down some cards here and hopefully he, this man will do the math and add it all up and that he will be able to understand where the law leads and that he'll come to Christ for salvation. So Jesus says this in verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear, bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And the man answered and said to Jesus, teacher, there it is again. He's just simply calling him teacher. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, It is hard for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, let's chew on this passage of Scripture as we're up to this point. Notice I wanted to emphasize now the law of God, but also... The love of God. Notice that Jesus Christ starts talking about the Ten Commandments. and the the Ten Commandments, there's the first table that deals with your relationship with God. And then there's the second part of the Ten Commandments that deals with your relationship with other people. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing as he's quoting the Ten Commandments. That's the second table of it. And as Jesus Christ is quoting the law here, you can understand this. That Jesus is teaching this man that the law is not enough. He gives a list of adultery, the murder, the stealing, the bearing false witness, the honoring your father and mother. All these things he says I have done. In his conscience, he thinks he's clean of this. But Jesus Christ leaves out one. He leaves out the last commandment. Do you remember what the last commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. Covet means... That you really thirst and desire for things that maybe do not, that do not belong to you. You want it. You grab it. You will do everything for it. You covet something that doesn't belong to you. And Jesus Christ knows that this is the deep-rooted sin in this man's heart. And he understands that even though this man has done the law, it's not good enough. Even though the law has done all this... The solution is finally to follow Jesus. Jesus knows this that all his possessions are standing in the way of becoming a Christian. And that's why Jesus says, Sell it all, give to the poor, you have treasures in heaven, now come follow me. That's the law of God pointing to Christ. But I want you to notice the motive. Jesus is not mad, he's not angry. He's not looking at this man as an enemy. Did you notice that very brief statement there in verse 21? It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell what you have, give the Lord and follow me. The reason why Jesus is trying to make him a follower of Christ is because Jesus Christ loves him. Jesus is trying to pull him out of the law precinct of Moses and bring him into the fellowship Bring him into the, the network of disciples, the family of Christ, the new covenant family. He, is, he loves him. And notice that this man, from what we can tell, is unregenerate. He is not a believer in Jesus, but Jesus Christ has a desire for this man to come into the fold. What does Jesus Christ really want this person to experience? I want to show you something interesting. Interesting. What this man should experience, what Jesus hopes this man to experience, is exactly what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul talks about the law of covetousness. He talks about how covetousness uh, was written down, and by that law, Paul could understand he was a sinner and that he died and he came to the end of himself and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's using this example of coming from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let me read to you this. And this is so fitting to explain what the, what the rich young ruler should have experienced. Here's Romans 7, verse 7 and following. Just listen. Paul says, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet, but sin." taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found that it brought death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. Let me give you a brief summary of what Paul is saying here. That God's law is good, but you're bad. And when God's law focuses on you, all it does is diagnose a problem. And it says you deserve death, you deserve death, you deserve death. And it makes you come to the end of yourself to realize you realize there's nothing I can do to save myself. Lord Jesus, help me. That's exactly what Paul is explaining about the commandments of God and how they are used, not only as a guide of what to do right and wrong, but to squeeze you out of yourself and to say, Lord, I can't do anything to save myself. That's what this rich young ruler was supposed to do. But he failed to do it. He loved his toys too much. He was too childlike in that sinful way. And therefore, he would not follow Jesus Christ. This leads us to a question I want to answer for you. And that is this. Why did Jesus tell this man to sell everything he had, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven? Why why was Jesus telling him to say that? The answer is this, simply this. All those things were preventing this man from following Jesus. Let me paint the picture of the historical context. This, young, this man is rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. Or think of it this way. He had wealth, which means he had connections with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Romans. He had a, a bunch of wealth that he could use at his disposal. He had status. He was a ruler over people. He had a position and authority in a Jewish context. Jewish Pharisees and others would look up to him with his status. He was young, not as a child, but probably in his early 20s. He had a whole life ahead of him that he was looking forward to. You think about, especially if you honored the the law of thou shalt not commit adultery, he could pick the prettiest girl around for a wife, be faithful to her, and have... A beautiful family there in Judaism. When you think about this, it's similar. His wealth, his status, and his youth. That's very similar to a lot of things that you read about with King Solomon. King Solomon had wealth, status, also he had the women. Here this man is a very similar condition as he's described in the Gospels. But all those things Serve as barriers for this man. So that's why Jesus is telling him to sell it all, get rid of it, then follow me. This leads us to another question Would the Lord Jesus ever tell somebody this today? Would the Lord Jesus ever want a pastor to tell someone to go and sell what you have, give to the poor? and follow Jesus? Well the answer is this, it depends. If a person's wealth and status actually is preventing them from being a Christian, if a person's wealth and status is preventing them from following Jesus Christ, then yes, the answer is you sell it, get rid of it, and follow Jesus. But if you're already a Christian, if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ and He is your Lord and Savior, Then the answer is no. The Lord would never tell you to sell it all and give it all away because there's no barrier between you and Jesus Christ. This is how very practical Mark wants this narrative, this history, to be for you and for all Christians. Mark is writing this into a culture where he's telling people you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to get rid of anything that that prevents you from being a Christian. Even if it is fame, wealth, status, power, possessions, the, port, the important point is become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now you can see also how practical this is in, in today's culture. There are many people in their minds, in their subconscious maybe, who will really be in situations where they think, I cannot become a Christian if I want to be successful in this arena. And they may choose to reject Jesus, not become a Christian, reject their Christian identity in order to pursue what they think, all the fame and power and status and money and things like that and possessions. And that they actually end up becoming like the rich young ruler. To give you another example, this was what happened in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of rich young rulers, so to speak, because the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who are enjoying their Jewish status, their privileges and all that during that first century there. And a lot of these people reading the book of Hebrews were baptized as Christians. They've been partaking the Lord's Supper and they're sitting there looking around going, you know, it's a lot cooler or better to be a Jew around in this culture. Forget this Jesus stuff. Let's go back to bulls and goats and sacrificing the blood of animals and that temple. Look at that glory, that temple. And I don't like being uncool. I don't like being unacceptable. I don't like being ostracized in this culture. Uh, Jesus, I'm over that phase. Let's go back to Judaism. That's exactly what some visible Christians, visible church members were thinking. And the book of Hebrews is written to them to say, "Don't you dare go back to Judaism! Don't you dare go for all the fame, for all the status, for all the gold, all the wealth of that culture of Judaism, and trample over the blood of Christ Jesus along the way." Don't you see how this is so fitting for anybody in high school, college, when they're choice, when when Satan, when they're forced with choices of. Do I keep my Christian identity or do I sacrifice it? Do I throw it away and go and ride the tide of culture and do what is acceptable and receive all the goods of this world, of this American corrupt culture? This is why the rich young ruler is calling all people simply, or the story of the rich young ruler, Mark is using this to call all people simply to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. If nothing holds you back from honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't have to worry about selling and giving everything away. Uh, It's only for those who are outside the faith. Only for those who have barriers blocking them from following Christ. Whatever is a barrier from following Christ, acknowledging Him, coming to church and worshiping with the Lord's people, if that's a barrier, get rid of it, whatever it may be. Come and follow Christ. And this is why, as we continue to read this passage in verse 24, the disciples were astonished, it says, at Jesus' words. And Jesus answered again. He doubles doubles down on this issue. And He says to His disciples, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What you can understand is that the wealth and the riches that Jesus in this particular context is not simply just about money. But it's about the wealth and the riches of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant world. The whole matrix there of Judaism and everything. That's the historical context. And that's why the disciples are really surprised that not even a rich man. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they had this assumption that if you're a good Jew, God blesses. Yahweh blesses the saved people with all these things. And therefore... Truly, the ones that are blessed with all their possessions of Judaism, that's the ones who are going to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says not even that is going to be be good because you have to come to Christ. You can't rely on the law. You can't rely on all your possessions. You have to come to Christ. The good news is that even though it's impossible with man, all things are possible with God. Why is it impossible? Why is it so hard? It's, it's as hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is an impossibility. It's because of this. You have to come to the end of yourself. How many people have themselves as a barrier between them and Jesus? It's called pride. How many people in the world, <laughs> nearly everybody in hell has that, has that, had that problem, is that they couldn't get over themselves. They couldn't humble themselves and their hearts so much to where they can say, there's nothing I can do. Nothing in in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's why the law, all it can do is condemn. But when a person comes to the end of themselves and they realize they can't save themselves, then that's the work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Pulling them out of themselves, looking past the heavens in faith and saying, Lord, I can't see you. All I see is creation. All I see is death and misery. But Lord, my faith is in you. All I'm going to do is trust your written word. That is a miracle. That's why only God can bring people to salvation. And that's why there's there's a limit to your reasoning, to your arguments to your screaming, to your hollering, to whatever you think you can do to to argue a person into the kingdom, the best thing you do is pray. Be a disciple of Christ. Pray for their soul. And then the Holy Spirit can move them out of themselves and into the family of Christ. And that's why Jesus ends this whole context with family. Look at verse 28. It says, Peter began to say to Jesus, he says, see how we have left everything and followed you? So Jesus answered and said, amen. I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. A few points I want to make up about this. It shows you that even though there's a cost to following the Lord Jesus Christ, you ante up everything that the world offers you to reject Jesus Christ, there's a cost. You of saying no to the world, the benefit is a brand new family. The benefit is the relationships you have in the church. This is why Paul is so insistent that love is the greatest gift. In First Corinthians, the church was devouring one another, but whenever you had the family of God, the church, these are people who are coming from paganism, people coming from Old Covenant Judaism, coming from persecutions. And now God is providing them a new family called the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why there's an emphasis here on family. That even though they forsook all to follow Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ promises them that in this life, they'll be blessed with more. That's a good word to have. To think about how the church is offering today more than the world can offer you. And in the life to come, you even get more too. Eternal life. Jesus Christ does not take from you in order to give you nothing. He takes from you in order to give you everything. If you can understand that with many losses that you may look back in your life, that you may have lost something. You may have lost something A relationship. You may have lost a business. You may have lost this. In the providence of God, He takes from you in order to give what you really need, in order to give what He really wants you to have, in order to give more to you. You have to have the faith to see that God is really good. He's not just a good teacher, like the rich young ruler said, He's a good Lord, He's a good God. He wants the best for you. And also, in addition to the rich young ruler, Jesus Christ has given you his Holy Spirit. So you can do what the rich young ruler failed to do. You can be faithful. All of you here are baptized as Christians. You acknowledge the Lord as your Savior. You're coming here not as rich young rulers. You're coming here as God's family, as his people, And he's smiling down from heaven saying, look what I've given you now in this life. I've given you brothers and mothers and sisters and children and lands, even persecutions. And don't worry, children. In the life of the world to come, you'll have even more. That's the emphasis that Jesus Christ has given his disciples and what he gives us now. Mark wants Christians to understand that it's worth paying the cost to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God always wants to give you more what the world is offering you. It's the beauty of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His provision. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give You thanks for Your Word. We give You thanks, Lord, for Your grace that sustains us. We pray, Father, that You'll continue to give us the faith to see the inheritance that You have given to Your people and how much more it is than all that the world could offer